So are you guys enjoying this series that we've been walking through in Acts as much as I have? It's been so, so rich. I love the different um, angles, the different things that the guys, Joshua and Jason and Mark did one, that they're highlighting and focusing on. Um, it's just, it's been so rich. I love sometimes they've drilled down on something that I haven't considered or considered in a different way. So um, it's just, I love it. I keep saying rich, but it really has been very rich. So today we're going to jump into Acts 13. I'll mostly be reading from the message version of the Bible just because it's fun. Um, but we're, where we left off last week was um, with Barnabas and Paul serving the church in Antioch. Um, they helped build up and had this church that was very healthy, thriving. Um, I think their media team was fully staffed. They had lots of children's ministry volunteers. Their tithes and offerings were on a healthy trajectory up. But they were a healthy, good, um, thriving church. It was a mix of Jews and Gentiles together. Um, I have a map that Pastor Jason put together for me. It's so great. Um, this is zooming in, and they came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and that was about a 300-mile trek. And so now they are being sent out from Antioch. So think about what they're being sent from. Antioch was one of the top five cities in the Roman world. It was a super major influential city in the culture then. It was about 300,000 people. Um, that's kind of about Eugene Springfield uh, population. So it was a decent sized city. It was an international city. Lots of um, pagan temples, pagan religion. And it was the Greek and Roman culture was the culture of the day there. There was theaters, bathhouses, music fests. Um, to me, that sounds a lot like Eugene, like very cultural. And um, it's Harbor Town was known among the social elites and celebrities. They would go there to enjoy the culture and the things happening. So like all the modern day uh, Kardashians would go there for vacations, right? Um, so it was a tourist location that drew people to it. So they were there in uh, Antioch, and um, now we're shifting our focus to Barnabas and Saul, making disciples and being sent to the ends of the earth. So we're going to jump in here, Acts 13, verse 2. One day, as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance. The Holy Spirit spoke, take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. So back in the day, fasting was, I think, a bigger deal, more commonplace than it is for us now. You know, Pastor Joshua calls an annual fast that we do in January, and, you know, by day five, we think we're about to die. Um, uh, I work with the guys that fast, and I feel that way as well. But they took it seriously in that culture and did it regularly and consistently, potentially as much as twice a week they were fasting. So they, like... This was a thing, they did it, they did it well, they did it faithfully, so it was commonplace. Verse 3, so they commissioned them in that circle of intensity and obedience of fasting and praying. They laid hands on their heads and sent them off. So laying hands on their heads, you know, we've done that here a little bit, but in this context it means to bless, commission, 
and bestow authority or responsibility on. So they were saying yes and amen to what the Holy Spirit was saying. That they were setting them apart and sending them out. And I imagine that they gave them a gift at the end of this prayer time of their very own prayer crocs to make their anointing travel. And remember, they're a young and healthy church, um, but the Holy Spirit asked them to send out their very best. Makes me think about when we're sending people out. You know, obviously Jeff is thinking we're sending our best this week and we send his wife and daughter. Like, that's a big deal. I was uh, thinking about when Zion came and told me, she's like, Janelle, I feel like the Lord's telling me to go to YWAM. And I'm just like, no, don't go. You're supposed to stay in Junction City and not ever leave. But in, you know, Trevin Waddell, the same thing. It's like, nope, I need to go and get more teachings. And they're not coming back yet. I don't like it. Um, it's sad for us. But this church, it was next level. It, because it was core leaders, people that had helped build the church to where they were today. So it was really a big deal for them. Because this had never been done before. This was brand new. You know, now we think, oh, let's just travel, just jump on a plane. You know, Jamie and Ellie are driving, you know, 10 minutes to the airport, jumping on the plane and going to the other side of the world. But it wasn't like that then. You know, it was a bigger deal. You know, they had to get a donkey or, you know, walk or whatever. And these ships that were just something. So it was a brand new experience. They didn't have cell phones. There weren't, you know, landlines that were, you know, in everyone's home. There was zero communication, basically. You know, they could write a letter and send it on a ship and it would get there in eight months. But basically, you have to figure there's zero communication. When I was growing up, um, my dad traveled a lot and he would go to different YWAM bases and ministry schools and he would speak. Um, and like I've known that all my life, I think I was four when he started that and he's still doing that now. Um, but when I was seven-ish, he was going to go to Guatemala. And I remember as a little girl thinking, oh, that's so far away. We lived um, in the Midwest, so, you know, on a map from here in Indiana all the way down to Central America. I was just like, my dad's going so far. They spoke a different language. You know, how is he going to ask where the bathroom is? You know, he loves tacos, but you can't drink the water and, you know, just all of those things that a seven-year-old is thinking about. So to my seven-year-old brain, it sounded like the ends of the earth. It sounded like he was going so far to never be seen again. But it gets worse for my little seven-year-old brain. Sorry. Um, it gets worse. Take out my earring so I stop doing that. Sorry. It gets worse for me because then I heard that there was civil unrest in Guatemala. And they were, like, right on the verge of war and, like, big things happening. And uh, it was big thing on the news um, that guerrillas, which now we would call them terrorists, were taking people hostage, specifically Americans. Some people on our YOM teams were um, mugged and robbed and all kinds of things. So for my seven-year-old brain, I was really scared. I um, pictured <laughs> these men dressed up in gorilla suits. You know, I didn't understand that's G-U-E, not G-O-R-R, or R. And they dressed up in the gorilla suits, tape or glued leaves on them. I don't know why my mind went to leaves. I think because he was going to a jungle. And they were going to meet my dad at the airport with a big gun and kidnap him. And I'd never see him again. 
So that's, you know, a context of the ends of the earth. Obviously, that's a little bit silly, but we have to think, like, back then, it was a really big deal to go send them away. You won't see them again. Super, super dangerous. I mean, how would you feel if this was your best friend or, you know, your cousin, your uncle, whatever, going to the ends of the earth? It would be scary. It would be like, oh, Jesus, are you sure this is what you're saying? Because... I love them too much to not ever see them again. It's, it's scary. Verse 4, it picks up and says, they were sent by the Holy Spirit. So think about those times that the Holy Spirit has talked to you, and like you know that you know that you know that it's what he's saying, what he's asking you to do. And there's a confidence there. However, it's a weighty responsibility to know you're being sent and that you're going to this uncharted territory. Uh, the next slide we have on the map is they were headed out to Cyprus, which is that island there in the middle. And obviously that is going by boat. And remember, there wasn't Carnival Cruise Line back then. There was no, you know, 24 hours all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, it was rough. Ugh, I, I just can't imagine. I was thinking last night, like, man, how bad must that have stunk? Like, just gross. The seawater and just all of it. Just, ugh. But you have to remember, guys, this whole thing was God's idea. The Holy Spirit was sending them. He was initiating it. They corporately pr uh, prayed and fasted together and heard collectively what the Lord was saying and saying yes and amen to what the Lord was saying. So as they were ministering through the island of Cyprus, they ran into a Jewish, Jewish wizard or a false prophet. He was an advisor that earned trust of the proconsul, which is what we would like call a governor. And his name was Bar-Jesus. The message calls him Dr. Know-it-all, which I like that. But he was a troublemaker. So verse 9 says the governor summoned Barnabas and Paul, but the wizard kept, excuse me, the wizard was opposing them, interrupting and trying to keep the governor from hearing about Jesus. When I was in high school here at Christ Center, we had a private school, and it's like a rite of passage that you have to go, um, witness, you know, do street evangelism. And one time, we all jumped on the bus here and drove to U of O, and we were, like, doing, talking to people about the Lord and doing some different dramas, and, um, you know, it was, cool stuff was happening, but as a teenager, it was awkward, right? And one time, this guy figured out what we were doing, and he lost his mind, just yelling at us. I mean, he was, like, really close and just screaming and berating us, and we're kind of like, ooh, what is going on? And then that wasn't uh, doing anything, so then he started just distracting and, like, trying to interrupt the presentation that was happening and just talking and talking and, like, don't listen to these teenagers, you know, these hypocrites, these Christians, I think they know... But he was just like really, his MO was to go after what we were doing, distract and discredit what we were doing, which is how I picture this um, sorcerer doing. So verse 10, but Paul, full of the Holy Spirit and looking at him straight in the eye said, I love this. This is why I picked the message version. You bag of wind, you parody of a devil. Why? You stay up nights inventing schemes to cheat people out of God. But now... You've come up against God himself, and your game is up. 
You're about to go blind. No sunlight for you for a good long stretch. Can you imagine that? Like having that confidence of the Holy Spirit in you that you just, you're going blind because you're a bag of wind. So I'm not sure. I, would, I don't know that I'd say that. Oh, I don't know. When the governor saw what had happened, he came a believer, full of enthusiasm and astonished over what they were saying about the master. Isn't that so good? Like just hearing what they're saying and then watching his, you know, trusted advisor go blind, he believed in Jesus. When was the last time you were, I was, astonished by the teachings of Jesus and the power in them? I was really pondering that this week, like, ooh, I, I need to think about that. <clears throat> so back to our map. Once they had that encounter, um, then they were headed up towards modern-day Turkey or Antioch, Pisidia. So that was quite another long journey. Um, and when they got there, it's, we're back into verse 15. They went into the synagogue and sat down. The local leader asked if they had anything to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Paul motioned with his hand. This is neither here nor there, but why did it say Paul motioned with his hand? You know, was he chef's kiss? Was he a big, you know, I was thinking of like an Italian person that talks really big with their hands. I know he wasn't Italian, but why, did, why does he say that? I don't know. I, ran, I randomly wonder stuff like that. Like, why is this detail of scripture that would be so helpful left out, but Paul motioned with his hand? Um, it made me think of Jason and some of his things that he does when... <laughs> I kind of want to imitate it, but I don't think I'm going to. You know, he gets his hands out, and he does a few things with his fingers, and he's just, he motions with his hands. So, I don't know. Anyway, not to de derail. But he gave a very long sermon with several main points um, about Jesus fulfilling Old Testament promises and Jesus freeing us from the Old Testament law. Like, that's, like, two statements very broad strokes for quite a lengthy sermon, um, but Paul crafted it for that specific audience, which was Jews and Gentile converts. And at the end of this, he was highlighting Jesus's resurrection. He's wanting to drive home the points that in Jesus is where salvation, forgiveness, and justification is found. Jesus is where God's forming his people and the forgiving of their sins, of my sins. Verse 35, I want you to know, my very dear friends, that is on account of this resurrected Jesus, the forgiveness of your sins can be promised. But everyone who believes in this raised up Jesus is declared good and right and whole before God. I want you to know, my very dear friends, it's on account of this resurrected Jesus this resurrected Jesus, the forgiveness of your sins can be promised. And he's saying everyone can be right and whole. That's a really big deal. Culturally, you could not. Um, and the people were ecstatic. Like, think about how this is like a game changer for them. They didn't have to be Jewish, you know. And they were so excited. So they obviously invited Paul back for the next Sabbath, the next week. So then there's a week where this news is traveling. And remember, this is like there's no landlines. There's no Facebook events you can create. 
no social media, you have to walk to your neighbors, tell them about it, and then on and on from there. There's no text blasts or whatever. No easy way to communicate. But scripture says almost the whole city came. So imagine that, if we had that happen here. What do you think Paul and Barnabas were saying? What were they thinking? Like, <laughs> I was picturing Paul elbowing Barnabas like, dude, I think we just went viral. Look at this crowd, right? On their terms, they just went viral. You know, on a normal Sunday, I think today I counted with the kids in here, we have like 115 or something kids. But imagine next Sunday, we suddenly had 1,000 people, you know? Like, what? I, first of all, it would make me feel claustrophobic, and then like, ooh, do we have enough toilet paper? And, you know, just all the things that this means. <laughs> That's how my brain works. But just think about that. Like, if suddenly there was that many people here, I mean... <laughs> I was laughing, pondering, what would Joshua and Jason do with that? Like, I don't know. It would just be fun to watch them squirm just a little bit. Like, oh, Jesus, what are you up to? But obviously, there was massive growth. There was, um, you know, the good news had traveled fast. However, it wasn't necessarily a good thing. The Jews were kind of mad. <clears throat> they were filled with jealousy and then contradicting what Paul uh, was sharing and causing trouble. But the Bible says Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. The message version says they didn't back down. He quoted Isaiah and said, Isaiah 49.6, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you hear that connection back to the ends of the earth? They were sent out to go to the ends of the earth. And he's just referencing that, uh, that scripture in Isaiah. It's so good. Verse 48, when the non-Jewish outsiders heard this, they could hardly believe their good fortune. Excuse me. All who were marked out for real life put their trust in God. They honored God's word by receiving that life. And this message of salvation spread like wildfire all throughout the region. I love how they say that good fortune because for them, they didn't have to throw away their culture and their customs. I mean, part of their custom was for the men to be circumcised. I would say that's good fortune to not have to embrace that, right? Like not to have alter your body and just all the things that that means. But you have to figure that the converts were the ones spreading the word. I mean, it says like wildfire. These converts that grew up in Antioch, they didn't travel. Like that wasn't a thing then. Um, what were, what was their, you know, friends thinking, their extended family? Like what is happening? Like, are you weird? Are you believing things that isn't, you know, what we believe in our custom? Because it was a Gentile city. And so this was a really, really big deal for them. It was a really big deal for them to do, to be a convert. So it's a good and right implication that you don't have to be Jewish. In a synagogue setting, imagine the controversy that was stirring up and causing. The Jews are there thinking, what good is it to be Jewish? I'm thinking about, you know, Jewish teenagers. They'd be like, Psh, why did we have to do that if we don't have to? And, you know, just some of the customs and traditions and that type of thing. But the converts were there celebrating, celebrating they didn't have to be Jewish. All they needed was Jesus. 
That's all. Jesus. He was the difference maker. He was the one including them in his salvation plan. So beautiful. Verse 50. Some of the Jews convinced the most respected uh, women and leading men of the town that their precious way of life was about to be destroyed. Alarmed, they turned on Paul and Barnabas and forced them to leave. Paul and Barnabas shrugged their shoulders and went on to the next town. Our founding pastor, John Bowers, he has this thing that he's done for years where he'll have uh, an amazing experience. You know, 500 people just uh, said the sinner's prayer and made a decision for Jesus. And he's like, praise God. And then he'll come from a meeting where it's like, this family's getting divorced and this, these people hate you and all these things happen. And he's like, praise God. Like he just, it's that same, that same response. And that's how I envision them happening. Like, well, praise God. Praise God for the good. Praise God for being run out of town. But praise God. They shrugged their shoulders and went to the same town, the next town. I would dare say there's probably no one, maybe one person in this room that has been run out of a city by officials and leaders. Um, I feel like that would be, that would make an impact on your, your mind and that would send a message like you are not wanted here. Paul was, they were, but yet he was still filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the but yet. I'd like to suggest that at that joy that he carried was huge, huge, because he was so confident in God's forgiveness. Like he knew that he knew that he knew that he was forgiven, him personally, not anybody outside there, but him. Because how else could you go through some of the stuff that he went through without that? How else could he carry so much joy? What he received when he was forgiven is so beautiful. And like the way that he caught sight of that and knew that just deep down is so profound to me. He celebrates that forgiveness. He wasn't focused on what was happening, the persecution, his safety threatened. I mean, it says they ran him out of town. I feel like there was probably some knives or swords or something going on, mocking him, running him out of town, the abusive talk. Imagine what social media slander there would be for a guy like that. You know, Facebook arguments and Twitter fights. That just kind of makes me shudder to think about how that would have gone down in today's society. But rather, he was focusing on what Jesus did for him personally. He didn't forget. He didn't lose sight of God's forgiveness for him and how much God forgave him. Because remember, this is the guy that was persecuting the church. He was the one that was like the worst of the worst, but yet God forgave him. His mantra in life after experiencing such a deep forgiveness is rejoice. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. I feel like that's so common in his letters. No matter what happened, he didn't lose that rejoicing because of this forgiveness. The new convert said they couldn't believe their good fortune. You know, there are some practical things that that meant. But I feel like a huge piece of that is the joy of being forgiven. Like, that's some pretty great good fortune, right? Like, having that revelation of, like, oh, me, 
today I am forgiven. That's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Could we get the ushers to come and begin to pass out communion, please? <clears throat> We've been talking, um, Pastor Joshua and Jason have been talking a, a few weeks about the necessity of forgiving others, right? And man, that's hard sometimes. Like, they did me wrong. That is just hard and tricky. But we can't forget that we are instructed to do that because we are indeed forgiven. It's why we're called to forgive, because we've been forgiven. This week I've been pondering things I've personally been forgiven of and just like, just thinking of this in a new fresh way, like um, some really big stuff, you know, I get in trouble with my mouth a lot. I know that surprises you, but the things that I say and do that I know grieves the Lord's heart, but I repent, I ask him for his forgiveness, and he's like, yep, I got you, I forgive you. Like, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Are there things that maybe you are um, not forgiving yourself for or that are hard to forgive yourself? I think for me, that is a big one where um, it's just hard. It's hard to do very often to to forgive yourself. I would like to suggest, this is strong, but that if you're having trouble forgiving others, whether you feel justified in that or not, suggest that maybe it's because you've lost sight that you have yourself been forgiven. Like it's you and Jesus first and then out from there. For me, often I wonder, well, I do this, that I slip into that entitlement mentality of like, yep, he, he forgave me. And like probably don't even consider it that much. Like just um, forgetting. Just like, yeah, I, he did this for me. That's great. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Um, or just forget or take for granted that. I love how they, they talk in the scripture about the joy of being forgiven. So as we are preparing in here um, to take communion together, um, we're just going to spend a minute thinking about that joy of being forgiven, thinking about um, what that means for you. Don't think about the person next to you or, you know, the terrorists that are doing horrific things, but think about you and Jesus. Maybe you need to clean that up a little bit with your presumption or your inability to forgive or whatever, but this right now is just you and Jesus taking a minute and focusing on his forgiveness for you personally. So on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. So God, we give you thanks for um, 
the forgiveness that this represents. Let's partake of this together. And Lord, thank you for your blood, for what this represents. Thank you, God, that this was for me. This was for each of us individually. Thank you for the ultimate sacrifice for my forgiveness, for forgiving me, Jesus. We thank you, God. Take it together. I'd like to uh, invite the prayer team to come forward. And I just want to encourage you today. Um, I know as I was preparing for this, the Lord and I really just had to walk through some things about um, for forgiveness, receiving his forgiveness. And I just want to invite you to um, just ask the Lord, what, what next further deeper um, things does he have for you in this regard? Because I think, um, obviously, this is a really big thing. But that joy of forgiveness, his forgiveness for me. Um, maybe there's somebody in here that isn't, um, that's never experienced this forgiveness. Like you've not um, ex made that exchange with Jesus and receiving his forgiveness. And if that's the case, I'd love to have you come up and talk with one of my, our people here um, and let them walk you through what that looks like. But I want to encourage you today, if there's something that you need prayer for, whether it's, you know, a job, your toe, whatever it is, to um, take time and do that. These guys are here. They want to pray with you. But specifically today, we're asking the Lord for the joy of his forgiveness and what that means and, and just deeper revelation for that. So if that's something that feels super foreign to you, come and let's pray together. Because um, that's like the center of it all. That's the center of it all. And just encourage you this week as you go and these distractions come, these hard things come, this, you know, persecution and whatever that looks like, shrug our shoulders like Paul and Barnabas and say praise God and move on to the next thing that he has for you. So Jesus, I thank you. <laughs> Lord, for your forgiveness. God, forgive me for the times I've taken that for granted, for the times I've minimized it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me personally. And I ask for, as my family here is pondering that, that you would just bring deeper revelation of this and what it means for them. Lord, I ask that you help us to remember that joy of being forgiven that's the end all be all Jesus is that forgiveness that you you offer us and I just bless my family as they come for prayer and head out to different things today we just ask for your peace and your rest and your joy God amen